Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman, Esquire. Starting a new chapter today, that's always an exciting time when we start a new chapter, chapter 25, about to begin today. I mean, we're quickly running out of chapters to even read. It's... uh, And still, it's sort of like, what is this book about, you know? Still, we're 25 chapters in, and it's kind of like, all right, you're telling me a tale, but what is it about? Is it about uh, revenge? Is it about trauma? Is it Freudian? What is it about? What are the main themes emerging here from Wuthering Heights? You know, I'm reminded of the song Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Let me crank up the um, old research machine and get the lyrics for Tainted Love. Cranking it up here. I've got the song, but what are the lyrics? How, How much is Tainted Love the lyrics just like the book Wuthering Heights? Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. I've got to get away. From the pain you drive into the heart of me. So, so far, yeah, okay. Sometimes I feel like I've got to run away. Yeah, that could describe many characters in Wuthering Heights. I've got to get away, sure. From the pain you drive into the heart of me. Well, who's the you in the book? That's Heathcliff. The love we share seems to go nowhere. And I've lost my life. This could be sung by Catherine Sr., for I toss and turn, I can't sleep at night. Once I ran to you, now I run from you. Tainted love you've given, I give you all the boy could give you. Take my tears and that's not nearly all. Yeah, this could be the theme song for Wuthering Heights, Tainted Love. Uh, I gotta run away, once I ran to you, now I run from you. The tainted love you've given. I give you all a boy could give you. Take my tears, and that's not nearly all. Tainted love. That's what it. I mean, that's what this book is about. It's about tainted love. But is that enough of a foundation to rest this entire classic novel upon? Um, you know, I think you know my opinion about this, which is not really, not really. You could look at it. Well, is this a character study? Not exactly, because. Whose character are we studying? Heathcliff's? Sure. Catherine? The two generations of Catherine's? Yeah, I guess. But what is it? What is this book? It's a confounding little novel, is it not? It's telling the tale of two generations in the first half of the book. Uh, You know, Heathcliff is paramount in the second half. He almost disappears. You've got 
uh, really the only thing you've got sort of dragging you through the book is Miss, Miss Ellen Dean, perhaps the former Mrs. Ellen Dean. Hard to know exactly what her story is, although I'd like to know more of it. But we've got these two generations of Lintons and Earnshaws mixing with each other and getting in each other's faces and coming to fisticuffs and threatening to kill each other. And it's all very dramatic, but I'm not sure it amounts to much. That's the problem. I'm not sure there are any great truths to be illuminated here in Wuthering Heights. If there are, I, I, I haven't found them. They haven't illuminated themselves on me. And it, it all rests. The problem, I think, rests, I've said it before, I will say it again, on the character of Heathcliff. Heathcliff, who is the gravitational mass at the core of this story, does not possess a true character. He is a kind of glyph. He is the idea of a brooding, complicated, romantic, but he is not a brooding, complicated, romantic. He is instead a paper-thin, psychotic. Now, why is that? Does that have something to do with the Bronte sisters' isolation? That's possible. I mean, I don't think they got out much. I don't think they saw much. I think Emily was indeed a little bit like Kathy Jr., you know, just sort of hanging out there at the church with her sisters and her her papa, not, not, not getting out there into the world very much. And of course, this was written by a young woman who probably had ideas of love, but it doesn't seem to me that the author of this book has actually experienced that about which she is writing, because she does not seem to have much of an idea as to what love is actually about. Um, so instead, she creates this sort of fantastical idea of romantic love. And by fantastical, I mean just that, not, not fantastic, but fantastical, imaginary, something that does not exist in this realm, unless you're talking about just the worst of humanity. You know, you're talking about abusive partners. But the thing is, I think my sense is that Heathcliff has some appeal for our author. It certainly does for legions of readers down through the centuries. Um, Heathcliff, in the popular imagination, is perhaps less coarse, less brutish, less abusive than he is in these pages. Um, there really is nothing redemptive about him at all. He is, in fact, more closely aligned with the mad scientist in Frankenstein, more, more closely aligned with Frankenstein, or at least the movie portrayal of Frankenstein, the scientist, not the creature, than he is with any sort of uh, romantic protagonist. He is both protagonist and, and antagonist, I guess mostly antagonist. Um, but he is also 
as I said, the gravitational mass around which this entire story spins. And, you know, Jude the Obscure, you go, well, this is about thwarted ambition. This is a societal critique and also an examination of the nature of faith, a deep examination on the nature of faith and its rewards or lack thereof. Frankenstein, you could say, well, that's a book about hubris. That is a book about the overreach of the creative impulse and our responsibility to our creations. But what is Wuthering Heights about? Tainted love. Oh, tainted love. That's what it's about. But it, it just doesn't seem like it, it's enough. Well, you know, maybe, maybe all, the, uh, all the threads will get tied together by the end as we, uh, you know, as we gallop towards the finish line and we begin chapter 25 of Wuthering Heights. So the last thing that happened, of course, is that um, Mrs. Dean has made Catherine Jr.'s father aware of the situation. He has forbidden her from going to Wuthering Heights, but he said, look, I understand this Linton kid means a lot to you. If you want to bring him here, that's fine, but you're not to go over there again, all right? And she has tearfully agreed to that request, or so she says. I don't know. Chapter 25. These things happened last winter, sir said Mrs. Dean, hardly more than a year ago. Last winter, I did not think at another twelve months' end I should be amusing a stranger to the family with relating them. Yet who knows how long you'll be a stranger. You're too young to rest always contented, living by yourself, and I some way fancy no one could see Catherine Linton and not love her. So, Mrs. Dean has gone from relating the tale, the woeful tale, of these two families and the two generations. It seems as if we have now finally caught up in time, and she's no no sooner finished relating the tale than she's trying to pawn Catherine Jr. off on Lockwood. You know, she's saying, how could you even look at her without becoming smitten? You know, you're a stranger now, but hey, you two might get married, you know? I was just listening to a um, podcast. Or maybe I was just reading, I think I was actually reading uh, a book that, that the wifey bought me for Christmas called You Never Forget Your First One, a, a, a kind of cheeky biography of George Washington. And the author, I think her name is Alexa Coe, was relating how Washington and Martha, George and Martha, sort of, you know, got together. And she was talking about how, uh, you know, dating and courtship was very different back then. And by their third meeting, they were probably already talking about uh, marriage or, you know, their, their, their property and their affairs and their business and how all of that would work and blah, blah, blah. But maybe it's a similar thing here, you know, it's the same time period, same country, America. And uh, so, you know, Mrs. Dean is looking at Lockwood and going, well, now you know the whole tale. So, you know, you want to marry her or what? Well, we'll see what he says. So no one could see Catherine Linton and not love her. 
You smile, but why do you look so lively and interested when I talk about her? And why have you asked me to hang her picture over your fireplace? And why... <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. Why have you asked me to hang her picture over your fireplace? What the hell? I mean, that's weird, okay? That's just weird. That's weird and that's creepy and you don't do that. You don't even know these people. You're just hearing their tale. It would be like, you know, me going into some Airbnb or something and, and saying, hey, I'd love to get a picture of the, uh, the, 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 the wife of the house. Just give me a picture of that so I could look at it. That would be weird, right? It's weird. Uh, yeah, and then why stop, my good friend, I cried. It may be very possible that I should love her, but would she love me? I doubted too much to venture my tranquility by running into temptation and then my home is not here. I am of the busy world, and to its arms I must return. Go on. Was Catherine obedient to her father's commands? So, it may be possible that I should love her. He doesn't even know her. He's been there, what, a couple of days, a couple of weeks? He barely knows the kid. And he's saying now he's going to go back to the wide world? Well, he's run from the wide world. He's run from London after breaking somebody else's heart. And uh, maybe that's why he's a little bit trepidatious here, because he's saying, hey, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I'm a man of the world, you know. I'm not, I'm not out here trying to hurt people. Was Catherine obedient to her father's commands? And now we're back in this story. Okay. She was, continued the housekeeper. Her affection for him was still the chief sentiment in her heart. And he spoke without anger. He spoke in the deep tenderness of one about to leave his treasure amid perils and foes, where he remembered words would be the only aid that he could bequeath to guide her. So clearly he's on death's door, as we said from the very beginning. Somebody catches the sniffles in these books, next thing you know, they're dead. He said to me a few days afterwards, I wish my nephew would write Alan or call. Tell me sincerely what you think of him. Oh, so that's it's him talking. Is he changed for the better? Or is there a prospect of improvement as he grows a man? He's very delicate, sir, I replied, and scarcely likely to reach manhood. But this I can say. He does not resemble his father. And if Miss Catherine had the misfortune to marry him, he would not be beyond her control, unless she were extremely and foolishly indulgent. However, master, you'll have plenty of time to get acquainted with him and see whether he would suit her. It wants four years and more to his being of age. It wants four years and more to his being of age. So I don't know what age you become of age. Is it 16, 17, 18? Is he like 14, 15, something like that? So I guess he can't marry her, even if he wants to, which is, which is good. Edgar sighed, and walking to the window, looked out towards Gimmerton Kirk. It was a misty afternoon. But the February sun shone dimly, and we could just distinguish the two fir trees in the yard and the sparely scattered gravestones. Well, we'll take a little bit of a break. I mean, I, I was going off right there at the top of what the hell this book is about and not coming to any strong conclusions, and I uh, let the time get away from me. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break back in a moment here on Obscure.
back in obscure with our occasional musings as to the meaning of Wuthering Heights, as to its deeper reservoir of truth, which I am still digging for and have yet to find. You know, Edgar Edgar is uh, is contemplating what it would mean for her his daughter to at some point marry her cousin, and he doesn't seem very happy about it. I've prayed often, he half-soliloquized, for the approach of what is coming, and now I begin to shrink and fear it. I thought the memory of the hour I came down that glen a bridegroom would be less sweet than the anticipation that I was soon, in a few months, or possibly weeks, to be carried up and laid in its lonely hollow. Ellen, I've been very happy with my little Cathy. Through winter nights and summer days, she was a living hope at my side. But I've been as happy musing by myself among those stones under that old church, lying through the long June evenings on the green mound of her mother's grave, and wishing, yearning for the time when I might lie beneath it. What can I do for Cathy? How must I quit her? I'd not care one moment for Linton being Heathcliff's son, nor for his taking her from me, if he could console her for my loss. I'd not care that Heathcliff gained his ends and triumphed in robbing me of my last blessing. But should Linton be unworthy, only a feeble tool to his father, I cannot abandon her to him. And hard though it be to crush her buoyant spirit, I must persevere in making her sad while I live and leaving her solitary when I die. Darling, I'd rather resign her to God and lay her in the earth before me. Resign her to God as it is, sir, I answered, and if we should lose you, which may he forbid under his providence, I'll stand her friend and counselor to the last. Miss Catherine is a good girl. I don't fear that she will go willfully wrong, and people who do their duty are always finally rewarded. You know, ultimately, maybe this book is just about death. Who in this book, who in this story that we are reading, has not, at some point, longed for death? (laughs) They are a morbid lot. These Earnshaws and these Lintons, they're always talking about their impending dooms and sort of fantasizing about how lovely it will be to be under the ground there at Gimmerton Kirk in their long slumbers. Who's done it? I mean, Kathy Sr. did it, and I feel like Hareton did it, and, uh, you know, Hareton Sr., is that his name? The father? Father of, uh, what's his face? Hareton Earnshaw, whatever his name was. And then uh, he died, of course, and now we've got, uh, what's his face doing it? Edgar Linton, and also fantasizing about how he'd rather Kathy uh, Jr. was dead than end up a tool of Heathcliff. Just, yeah, there's, there's, and, you know, maybe there's something, again, about growing up there in the church and looking out at the graves every day and fantasizing about, well, that that wouldn't be so bad, you know. Rent never goes up and, you know, you got enough space there, got a roof over your head. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad to be dead. You know, there's something morbid about this, this Bronte girl. And uh, it seems, it seems to me that there is a commingling of the ideas of death and love in this 
book and the how love and death seem to be um, partners in a sense that you cannot love without finding death in the end. But that doesn't seem to necessarily be a bad thing. Death seems fine in this worldview. It doesn't seem final, that's for sure. I mean, you got Kathy Sr. haunting Lockwood, you know, the very first few pages of this of this book. So that's what happens. Spring advanced, yet my master gathered no real strength, though he resumed his walks in the grounds with his daughter. To her inexperienced notions, this itself was a sign of convalescence. And then his cheek was often flushed, and his eyes were bright. She felt sure of his recovering. On her seventeenth birthday, he did not visit the churchyard. It was raining, and I observed, You'll surely not go out tonight, sir. He answered, No, I'll defer it this year a little longer. He wrote again to Linton, expressing his great desire to see him. And had the invalid been presentable, I've no doubt his father would have permitted him to come. As it was, being instructed, he returned an answer intimating that Mr. Heathcliff objected to his calling at the Grange, but his uncle's kind remembrance delighted him, and he hoped to meet him sometimes in his rambles, and personally to petition that his cousin and he might not remain long so utterly divided. That part of his letter was simple and probably his own. Heathcliff knew he could plead eloquently enough for Catherine's company. Then, I do not ask, he said, that she may visit here. But, oh, this is, uh, this is Linton. I do not ask, he said, that she may visit here, but am I never to see her, because my father forbids me to go to her home, and you forbid her to come to mine? Do now and then ride with her towards the heights, and let us exchange a few words in your presence. We have done <sighs> nothing to deserve this separation, and you are not angry with me. You have no reason to dislike me. You allow yourself. Dear uncle, send me a kind note tomorrow, and leave to join you anywhere you please, except at Thrushcross Grange. I believe an interview would convince you that my father's character is not mine. He affirms I am more your nephew than his son, and though I have faults which render me unworthy of Catherine, she has excused them, and for her sake you should also. You inquire after my health. It is better, but while I remain cut off from all hope, and doomed to solitude or the society of those who never did and never will like me. How can I be cheerful and well? Wah, 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 wah. Shut up, you spoiled little brat. There's nothing in your character that, that, that prohibits folks from liking you other than you're just a whiny little bitch. Edgar, though he felt for the boy, could not consent to grant his request because he could not accompany Catherine. Right, he's sick, he's dying. He's got, he's got consumption, he's got the grip, or whatever the hell he has. He stepped in a puddle and now he's dead. You know, basically he's the walking dead. Which, by the way, I've been watching season 11, just came to Netflix, and I don't know why I keep watching. It's kind of boring, but I'm going to see it through to the end.
He said in summer, perhaps, they might meet. Meantime, he wished to continue writing at intervals and engaged to give him what advice and comfort he was able by letter, being well aware of his hard position in his family. Linton complied, and had he been unrestrained, would probably have spoiled all by filling his epistles with complaints and lamentations. But his father kept a sharp watch over him, and, of course, insisted on every line that my master sent being shown. So, instead of penning his peculiar personal sufferings and distresses, the themes constantly uppermost in his thoughts, he harped on the cruel obligation of being held asunder from his friend and love, and gently intimated that Mr. Linton must allow an interview soon, or he should fear he was purposely deceiving him with empty promises. So Heathcliff, the ever the puppet master pulling the strings, and uh, Ellen Dean seeing right through it, of course, as we all do. Kathy was a powerful ally at home, and between them, they at length persuaded my master to acquiesce in their having a ride or a walk together about once a week under my guardianship and on the moors nearest the Grange. For June found him still declining, and though he had set aside yearly a portion of his income for my young lady's fortune, he had a natural desire that she might retain, or at least return in a short time too, the house of her ancestors, and he considered her only prospect of doing that was by a union with his heir. He had no idea that the latter was failing almost as fast as himself, nor had anyone, I believe, no doctor visited the heights, and no one saw Master Heathcliff to make report of his condition among us. I, for my part, began to fancy my forebodings were false, and that he must actually be rallying when he mentioned riding and walking on the moors and seemed so earnest in pursuing his object. I could not picture a father treating a dying child as tyrannically and wickedly as I afterwards learnt Heathcliff had treated him to compel this apparent eagerness, his efforts redoubling the more imminently his avaricious and unfeeling plans were threatened with defeat by death. So, you know, little Linton on his way out, Heathcliff driving him forward with whips towards his own death in the hopes of at least securing the hand of Kathy Jr. in marriage before he should return to mud. So that's what's going on. That's the end of chapter 25. I mean, we read a whole little chapter today. That's unusual. A short chapter to be sure, but what a pleasantness it is to get through an entire chapter in an episode. So we've got two men dying uh, here in the pages of Wuthering Heights. We've got Edgar Linton succumbing to the grip, and we've got little... Linton Heathcliff succumbing to uh, the I don't know the frailty of his of of his constitution I suppose there's re there's really been no diagnosis other than he's been frail from childbirth and uh, you know so be it Teddy Roosevelt was frail in childhood and he grew up to be president of the United States 
Maybe Linton Heathcliff can do the same, you know? Maybe he just needs a little fresh air. A little safari in deepest, darkest Africa. A little charging up San Juan Hill to restore his vitality. That's all it that's all he needs instead of sitting around the house, supine on pillows, being yelled at by his tyrannical father. That's what he needs, you know. Maybe a little outdoors time would do him some good. Hard to say. I've just exhausted myself reading a single chapter of Wuthering Heights, so I guess we should end it there. Chapter 5 is concluded. We're going we're gonna to start the next episode with Chapter 26. My goodness, how exciting. Uh, we've, we've got two deaths trying to outrace each other. We've got Lockwood with his eye on Kathy Jr. We've got Heathcliff with his fingers in every pie and on the two estates, uh, greedily trying to devour everyone else's happiness with his tainted love. Whoa, tainted love. Whoa. Um, but yeah, that will conclude us for today. And we will pick it up on another synth poppy episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time.